Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today's episode concludes a series of off-season interviews Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Carbon has recently conducted with Arizona State football coaches. Today, you'll hear his interview with ASU associate head coach and co-defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce. Pierce, who is entering his first season as co-defensive coordinator and third on head coach Herm Edwards' staff, will take over the ASU defense along with co-coordinator Marvin Lewis after New Mexico head coach Danny Gonzalez led Herm Edwards' defense the past two seasons. A Super Bowl winning linebacker with a decade of playing experience in the NFL, Pierce was recently promoted to associate head coach after spending his first two seasons in Tempe as the program's linebacker coach and recruiting coordinator. He's retained his titles as the associate head coach and recruiting coordinator. During his nine-year NFL career, Pierce played in 137 regular season games and seven playoff games with the Washington Redskins from 2001 to 2004 and the New York Giants from 2005 to 2009. Pierce captained the Giants defense for five seasons, including in 2007 when he helped anchor the championship team that upset the previously undefeated New England Patriots for a victory in Super Bowl 42. He was also named to the Pro Bowl that season. He finished his career with 687 tackles, 9 sacks, and 7 interceptions. A native of Long Beach, California, Pierce played college football at the University of Arizona after beginning his college career at Mount San Antonio Junior College in Walnut, California. He worked alongside Edwards at ESPN as an NFL analyst for much of the last decade. He was the head coach of Long Beach Poly High School from 2014 to 2017, leaving the team to join Herm Edwards at ASU as the linebackers coach and recruiting coordinator. In this podcast, Pierce describes his expanding role on ASU's coaching staff and analyzes the personnel on the defense after three years coaching and recruiting. He also gives his perspective and describes his recruiting philosophy. The voice you hear next is Cartman, followed by Pierce. Okay, now joined by Antonio Pierce. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of his titles because it's too many and take up the whole podcast, but uh, Coach Pierce, how are you doing? Doing good, man. And listen, that's always the punchline now. I told Coach Edwards, no more. Just put Coach on there, Coach Pierce, Coach AP, and I'm good. Yeah, well, uh, basically now you're the, you're the associate head coach, uh, been recruiting coordinator. Now you're also co-defensive coordinator with Marvin Lewis. Um, what do you think about just the, the, the expanding role that you have had and kind of how it, it fits into to where things are at with the program right now? Well, I think it's you know it's obviously an honor. You know, you always want to just move up the ranks. Think about it. You know, thirty plus months ago, I come in as a linebacker coach, and you just put your hard hat on and work, just like we tell our student athletes and our recruits. You know, just come in and just you know, bust your tail, and hopefully you get rewarded with that. And obviously, from recruiting coordinator to associate head coach, co defensive coordinator with the with Marvin Lewis, who coached me my second year in the league. Man, it's an honor for me to be honest. Um, He's a guy who my second year I looked up to because of what he did in Baltimore with Ray Lewis, what he did in Pittsburgh with that group of linebackers. And to be on our tutelage and learn from a, a gentleman like that was always great and a benefit in my career and had that same opportunity down to work side-by-side side with him, uh, calling defense, putting in uh, things that we did back almost 20 years ago. Uh, it's fun, energetic, and I think our student-athletes here at ASU are enjoying it as well. Mm-hmm. Now that you're – Central focus has just been college football for the last couple of years uh, and, and seeing the differences and similarities maybe between that and the NFL game or the high school game. Uh, what do you think are, as you guys also transition defensively, what do you think are the main kind of takeaways about what 
some of the key differences are between college football and the NFL as you put together a defense? Well, I, I still think it comes down to personnel and people. Uh, you got to have the personnel that you're looking to run whatever defensive it is. Uh, obviously, with having a, a 4-3 or 4-2 defense because of all the sub packaging, uh, you need defensive linemen. You know, I was fortunate to play with Bruce Smith and Michael Strahan, two Hall of Famers. But along with that, a bunch of other guys who were very talented up front who made my, who made my job much easier at linebacker. And as you build anything from college to the pros, it starts with personnel, starts with with guys that are passionate about the game of football, who love it, who what I always say, they need football as much as football needs them to a degree. And I think when you get that and you get a good mixture of uh, guys with a wealth of knowledge, a passion about it, and have the right, um, basically the steps and the guidance that they're looking for to, to prosper as a student athlete. I mean, it's a win-win situation. The biggest comparison, I think, would be just, you know, uh, when you look at the game of football, sometimes we make it too difficult. They come up with so many different ideas and try to be creative. And then when you go back and you look at the championship caliber teams, they don't do that much. They allow their players to make plays. And I think that's the biggest thing that we're going to try to do here in the next uh, few months or years while we're together and, uh, and let these bad boys run. Yeah. So in college football, the wider hash marks, a lot of teams align field and boundary. Uh, do, do you see uh, – with the four-man front and and the and just the way that the the ball can be really squeezed to one side more uh, challenges associated with that or opportunities with how you align your players if you, if you go to left and right end for example and and you play left and right side. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the on the, on the head when you say the hash marks, and that's the biggest difference, and that's the biggest challenge I think for anybody on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you're playing in space. It's, it's, it's open football. It's, it's allowing these guys on offense to create matchups to force you to make one-on-one tackles to try to get their premier athlete one-on-one in a situation with you. College football historically is not a, a high-percentage tackle efficiency group. <laughs> you know, those guys yeah. have a lot of yeah. tackles when you watch it. And I think as a defensive coach and a coordinator, you, you want to put your best athletes in those positions. You, you want to put your smart football players to the field and use the boundary guy, use that sideline as your 12th man. Um and I think that's the biggest adjustment that I've had uh, coming from the NFL, even even in high school. You know, you didn't see it as much, but in college, I mean, they they work to get the ball on the, on the, on the hash marks. They never want the ball in the middle of the field. And then again, it's it's so spread out. Everything is is all 53 yards of the sideline to sideline. Again, it does put challenge on there, and that's why you need to have length, height, and athleticism at your at your skill positions to make those plays. Right, and so. From a personnel standpoint, making this this defensive change, uh, you're moving some of your ends inside the three packs. It makes a lot of sense. Jermaine, uh, you know, naturally fits that role. Stephon Wright fits that role. What do you think about your personnel uh, at ends and 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 elsewhere? I mean, obviously now you take one safety off the field. You go to a, you know nickel corner opportunities. So where are you guys positioned and what needs to happen from a recruiting standpoint to build from here? Well, I think the best thing about the guys that we moved from outside to in, those are some of our better football players. You know, Jermaine Lowley was very productive coming off the edge. Just imagine him going up against a guard and center, which are mostly the weak links uh, on the offensive line. Um, I think for us, when you just look at college football as a whole, you don't get a lot of good offensive line play. Uh, I think since we've been in the Pac-12, maybe anywhere from four to five guys drafted 
So you can really take advantage of that. And we feel like we've done a good enough job uh, with that group so far, with the defensive line, uh, to, to take advantage of that. And I think our deficit has been just the height. You know, we need to find true defensive ends, guys that look like a Mary Johnson. And, that, and that's our prototypical guy because that's who we have on campus. Uh, that's what we want them to look like. Obviously, they'll get bigger and better as we keep recruiting. Um, but you want that. And, and when you see these guys play, you know, when you're playing the three three five, you're playing in every different position. But now Jermaine Lole just has to worry about being a three technique, just beating the guard every single play. And if we decide to move him or do anything of that nature, now that's creating problems for the offense. And when a guy like Stephon Wright, Omar Lott, Cooper, um, DJ and TJ, all these guys, he's a big, massive man. You know, we have great interior presence with these guys. You know, no right. guys with three techniques, and I think we can really take advantage where we're going to get some one-on-ones and win. Mm-hmm. And so what about – Linebacker, just how this does this has this changed the your linebacker, you know, from a personnel or what you're looking for standpoint much, or how do you see that? No, because I when I recruit linebackers and the guys I brought in were linebackers. They weren't a Sam. They weren't just a Mike or a Will. You know, I mm-hmm. like the guys that can rush the pass or drop in coverage, play in the middle, can be the nickelbacker, can be the dimebacker, whatever it may be. Those are the guys I recruit. You know, and I think when you're a true linebacker, you can master all of them. It's my job to help them master all those traits before they leave here and hopefully showcase it. But, you know, you got a guy like Merlin Robertson, who's pretty effective uh, at the line of scrimmage. He's done that for two years um, when we were in the 3 3 5. So you can, you can have a, a situation where you can put him in and just drop him to deep to the end and get another linebacker in that's a little bit athletic as well and help you out in pass coverage. Um, but then Merlin's 6'3", 6'4", you know, so he got that height. He got that length that you're looking for. Um, so it doesn't really change how we're going to play linebacker. I think what's, what's been creative, was, I think it's been a little bit motivational for these guys, is that they realize if we're in sub and we go to a 4-2-5, it's only two backers on, on the field. Right. So it's dog-eat-dog world. You know, these dudes got to produce. They got to be on a, on a, on a, on a P's and Q's. They got to be ready to play and produce. And, and that's what makes that room so competitive. And what I like about it is it's, it's a very competitive, but family environment in the group. They understand that the next man is trying to grab their job, and they're battling each and every day for it. So you lose Kalen. He had a great senior season. What what do Merlin and Darian Butler have to do to take the next step in their games? I think I think it, it, so you started seeing the spring before we lost uh, those days due to the virus. Because I think the game slowed down a lot more for Butler uh, that we needed that to happen, you know, because he's going he's gonna to be in the middle. Uh, we want him controlling stuff. He's named team captain last year. Uh, this is a year that, you know, we need to see that, that big jump from Butler out of anybody, in my opinion. Um, he started 26 games now here at Asia. There's no more rookie. There's no more young young pups. Yeah, he's, a, he's a seasoned vet. A lot of war wounds on him. Right. Um, so I think that's going to happen. I think with Merlin, you know, everybody thought, you know, he's going to blow it out the water. And I think that's what happens sometimes. You put a lot of expectations on these kids, and, and, it, and he put more pressure on himself than need be. His freshman year, he just went out there and played, and he was one of the best, better freshmen in the country. I think now he's comfortable in his own skin. He understands his home life, his off-the-field life, has to all match with what he does on the field. And he's had some adversity this offseason with the loss of his father, um, He's kind of handled like a champ. I don't know how that. I don't know how I would handle that. You know, at 19, 20 years old, dealing with that. But he comes ready to work, mindset. Hey, let me let's go. When can we get back to ball? What more can you give me, AP? And what I don't think a lot of people understand about Merlin is how smart of a football player he is. 
how he understands the game of football. And you've seen it throughout the last two years prior of me moving him from defensive end to outside back to the middle linebacker all throughout the game, and he doesn't flinch. So, you know, he gives us a jack-of-all-trades, and I do think this will be a year that we see the Merlin that we all thought we would see last year. Yeah, he was pretty candid with us, and he said that he kind of tried to take some shortcuts um, last year with, with his prep and maybe just didn't have the right mindset at times coming after off a great freshman season and, you know, sometimes guys that second year is a little bit tougher. And he went through all that personal stuff, as you said. Does it say something about his, um, just his ability to self-reflect and realize that he just didn't and admit pretty candidly that he just didn't play as well as he could have? Maturity. He knows. I told him, and we talked about it in the spring. Hey, man, the sophomore snuff is, you know, uh, not, not, not taking things for granted, coming with the same mindset that he had the year prior as a freshman, and, and it's hard, man. It's hard when everybody's telling you, you're the guy, you're the man, you know, go, go Merlin, you know, you can do it, you know. And and we need humble pie. And he got humbled in the first few games of the season, but the best part about him is the way he ended the season. Florida yeah. State, Oregon, U of A game, was his best yeah. three games of the season. That's what I remember, and that's why I told him. Everybody's going to – they'll pick at you about the start, but they'll, they'll really, if they really focus, they'll see how you finish the season. And that's what he will use as his platform going forward. Mm-hmm. So Kyle Soley, it seemed like at times he gave starter-level production or capability. Uh, where do you see his game at right now? You know, it's funny. I don't, I, if we had a full spring, I think I would have probably made the same statement that I made about, uh, for Kalen Thompson, was that he really? put himself in a position to be a starter. And I think he's still there. Uh, he's been a guy that's been a mister doing I can, I can I can rely on him doing anything. I can throw him in the game in the middle of the fire, uh, whatever situation it is, and he performs. So Oregon was one of his bigger games and more productive games last year during the season. Uh, he's the guy who, since he's gotten here, has worked on his athletic ability. You know, he wasn't a twitchy guy. He's not the most agile guy. But he works on it each and every year, and you just see the progress that he's made with Joe in the weight room. And he's one of the smartest guys on our team. And when we're doing all these Zoom meetings and we're meeting as a linebacker group or our defense, he is really the most vocal guy on that platform. And you can start seeing that he's like, okay, look, he's been here now four years. <laughs> you know, right. he's a red shirt junior. He's totally different. And he's a hometown hero. He's a guy that plays a lot of pride. he got a brother here. He understands what it's like to really be a sun devil. And I think he's embracing it. And it's a shame that he didn't get to finish the spring out because he's having one hell of a spring. Hmm. And Elijah Juarez, he, you know, by necessity had to bounce around a little bit, play a little fullback role, whatever, recruited as a, as a linebacker. I know he played for you in high school, uh, mostly on offense, uh, you know, trying to get into optimum shape and everything. What did you think about what you saw from him in the spring? Yeah, that, that's my guy right there. That, that, that's my, my, my thorn in my butt. You know, he, he drives me crazy. <laughs> the things that he does at times, but then there's sometimes you just watch him make a move or a sudden his suddenness or his burst or his ability to recognize it and go from zero to 100 so fast and, and so athletic at 250 pounds. He has the brightest upside of the whole group because of what he brings athletically. You know, what he wow. needs, obviously, um, I think is reps. You know, he's a repetition guy. And the best thing that was happening in the spring with things that was going on with Merlin, giving Butler a rest from a physical standpoint, he was getting a ton of reps. You know, he was getting about 80, eh, about 70% of the reps in spring ball. So you can see that he was progressing. He was being more vocal. His eyes was open. His vision of seeing the formation, seeing what was happening in front of him. And then also understanding what he needed to do. Uh, it was coming. So 
Elijah, I threw him in the fire a couple of games last year, Oregon, Florida State, Arizona towards the end, get his feet wet. You can tell his confidence is coming back there. You know, he's naturally a linebacker, but he's so athletic. Uh, we might have screwed the kid by putting him at running back for the first you know, month and right. a half of the season. But that just tells you the kind of uh, skill set that he has. You know, but I think going forward, uh, he's in that he's in that four group. He's in there battling, fighting with all those guys, and his job, and he knows, is that he's supposed to beat out Merlin, Butler, or Kyle Sully. That's his job, and that's and he understands it. He's embracing it. He's trying his best to do it. Mm-hmm. So you got the it was a shortened spring. You got seven practices with the early enrollees: Jordan Banks, Kayla McCullough. Uh, how did they look relative to your expectations coming in? Good. They're gonna be really good football players. Uh, Jordan Banks, obviously, is a little bit more physically uh, developed and alone than uh, Caleb McCullough, just from a physical and weight standpoint. Came in around 230, where Caleb was around 190. Um, but both both guys are football guys. They get ball. And just like the expectations I had for Merlin and Butler, I put it on those two guys, and they came in early, earlier, six months earlier than the other two freshmen two years prior. And they did have a heck of a job. You know, Caleb's taking roles at Mike. He, he wasn't used to being so vocal and, and somebody demanding him to speak up and talk and kind of own the huddle and own the group as a freshman. It shocked him. But Jordan's used to that. You know, Jordan's a guy that he can play on the line of scrimmage. He wants to talk. He wants to be the guy. He, he's always asking questions, always in my ear during practice, which at times I need him away from me. But they yearn and they're sponges for knowledge. And I think that was the best part about both those guys being early, of how much they were able to soak in and how much able how much I was able to watch them and now, over the last two to three months, kind of break down, you know, what they can do better, what they did really well, and where we can go from there. So this this downtime created by this whole situation this year, what are the keys to players taking ownership during this time and making sure they're doing all the right things so that you guys can hit the ground running as best as possible when you guys do resume? <clears throat> they're going to have to because nobody's going to feel sorry for us game one. There's, no, there's not going to be an excuse to why you lost. It may be, but that's not going to be the front. That's not going to be a headliner, right? Yeah. So, for these guys, they got to understand it. When, whenever that game comes, whoever we play, <laughs> if it's a conference game or non-conference, whenever we play, the expectation is a winning performance and winning product on the field. And mentally, that's all we can give them. What are they doing physically? I don't know. We can't monitor them. You know, we can't get Joe to, to, to send videos to him or to watch him. So, we've got to bank on our guys that have been with us now for two to three years to kind of lead the way. And, and you got your leaders, you got your guys in each group that you try to poke at to get the group going. And and what I and I said it the other day uh, to our staff is when they get here, we're going to see it. You will know right away who's been BSing and who's the guy that's really put in work. Right. And it's going to be embarrassing for the others who have. Right. So with, with this defense, you have so many veteran guys. Uh, how, how do you feel about just how much you guys have – uh, already installed with your scheme and their their comprehension of it, just given that you had a limited amount of time? Uh, I think we're going to be fine because we're going to the model of less is more. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes as a coach, you try to throw in the whole kitchen sink in a bucket at a, at a group of student-athletes who you only have for a certain period of time a day. Then you throw in this coronavirus, and then you don't even have any kids at all. Right. Uh, so I think what you're going to see from us is less is more. Dial into what we did really well in the spring balance what we know we can do really well come fall and let those guys go. Uh, we feel good about our group in the secondary. There's a bunch of veterans, two fifth-year corners, uh, fifth-year senior corners 
Jack Jones and Chase Lucas who have played a lot of football. Shari Crosby on Evan Field, uh, Patron in the middle, and that back end of linebackers uh, who have now been here for two years. Uh, let those guys kind of just run and do their thing because we now cannot use the term young anymore. Right. Too many years of experience, too many games under our belt, so now use that as an excuse. It's now time to perform. This um, the staff that you guys have put together this year did some changes. I know that there was a lot of uh, confidence in what it would do, just injecting more energy, more youth into your recruiting operation. Uh, are you seeing that? Is it hard with you know just not having the just the evaluation period, or just what's your sense of, of how that's working out? Yeah, I mean, obviously we we want to go younger uh, overall. The staff. Uh, but from a decent standpoint, man, I'll, I'll speak on that. Just, just the knowledge now in that room. Yeah. Uh, when you add a Marvin Lewis, when you add a Donnie Henderson, who have a combined you know fifty plus years of coaching as either a coordinator or a head coach of the National Football League, you, there's not too many things they haven't seen. There's right. not too many. They have a lot of answers. Maybe not all of them. Not all. Not a hundred percent. But we're at ninety nine. Yeah. And, and and how we can get that message relayed to our players is most critical because sometimes you can know too much and how you deliver it and how you give it to your players can be uh, can hinder them. But then I think that's where you get the other guys, like myself, Coach Rodriguez, and obviously a 25-year-old DB coach who is going to be a star. You know, Chris Hawkins is going to be a star coaching in college football. You know, he gets it. He's dialed in mentally. He grabs their attention out the gate when he gets here. Doesn't matter that him and Jack were teammates just a few years ago. He demands respect and ownership of that room, and that just that just goes right into recruiting. That yeah. same energy is being brought to the table when we're having these meetings with recruits. They can mm-hmm. feel it. You can sense it coming off your screen. I know I can, and I know the feedback I've gotten from the recruits and their parents is that as well. So for us, I, I just think you got that kind of mixture of a a 60-year-old plus coach to a 25-year-old with that in the middle, and you got one hell of a hamburger. So so do you think that when you talk to parents, high school coaches, even kids, that the combination of the NFL experience with the diversity and the youth and the energy, that it's that synergy of those things that kind of makes it a unique situation? Without a question. Uh, my word is we're Skittles. We, you, hmm. test, you, t- you can taste the rainbow with us. We got every flavor, color, whatever you need. It, it, we hit it, and I think that's the most that's the best part about college in general. Right? You go to college to to explore, to diverse yourself, to open your mind. Well, just look at that box. And we had some Zoom meetings earlier this week, and we told some of our prospects, "Look at these boxes." I mean, we're the Brady Bunch. We're all over the place. You know, guys are from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, religion, color, skin, age. Hell, man, we we hit it all. And yeah, I hear the pro model. One hundred percent because we got two hundred and fifty years of it. So we right. gotta talk about it. We'll be done otherwise. But we also have is a great group of guys that can relate and play video games with a seventeen year old. Marvin's not doing that, right? Marvin Lou's not playing Madden with anybody. But Chris can. Our our GAs can. You know, our Sean Prater, those guys of the world, they can because they can relate to those kids. They can talk that language. So that's that's a plus side for us, I believe, in recruitment. You've known Herm for a lot of years, but now you have a couple of years of working under him in, in this capacity and in this type of an environment. What What's that been like? What are some of the big takeaways from you about the way that he leads 
uh, as a head coach? Man, you you want to be at work? <laughs> like, I want to be at work. Like, I don't dread looking at the clock. Like, I hate looking at the clock because I'm like, damn, I, I, I'm trying to go home, you know? It's not that case. It's not the case around here. It's like you go throughout the day, and next thing you look up, it's 7, 8 o'clock at night. And you've already been done with your work for two or three hours, but you're just kind of like sitting around, you know, shooting a shot with your, with your, your, your um, staff members. It, yeah. you, most places that you work, you walk around on eggshells. You can't be yourself. AP is a different guy than Zach Hill, right? right. <laughs> a Robert Rodriguez right. is a different guy than a Dave Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, when you look at those dynamics, you're like, well, damn, how does that all work? But we can walk through the building and everybody gets along and it's okay. Is it always peaches and cream? No. Do we always agree? No. But the work environment and the attitude and the aura from our head coach spills in the hallways. His voice resonates down from the hall from me. You know, if you don't have energy, by the time he walks into your door, you got it now. Right. He jolts you with a, with a, with a bowl of life. And how does a 66-year-old man do it? And that's the joke around college football. He's too old. He can't do this. And then after you spend, you know, a few minutes with him, you realize you might be the one that's old. <laughs> you don't got the juice like him. And, and that's, that, for me, and people say, why, why is AP still here? Why did he stay? Why? It's because of that. I can be me. I love work. I love coming to work. I love I, – I hate the fact that I got to leave at some point. And I, get, and I get to be around some of the, the best minds that have been around football, in my opinion, in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, and that, that must trickle down to recruiting because your players are the most important recruiters that you have when you have kids on campus. And they're going to, you know, whatever they say about guys, they're not going to be able to hide how they actually feel. 100%. I mean, you can ask Merlin now. The recruiting pitch is out the window because <laughs> we've had our ups and downs. You know what I mean? We've yeah. had our heated moments. The recruiting pitch is out the window for Jaden Daniels. They they get it. So now they're like, look, this is what they said. This is how they went about it. This is how it really is. So now you just sit back. And all you got to do is just spread the – let those guys let, – let our product and our work ethic and what we've done here, let it show. It shows on the grass and it shows off the field with our academics. And, when they, and you know how recruits are. They're going to find a way to get a hold of Jaden. They're going to find a way to get a hold of some of our recruits and current players, and they're going to talk. And they're going to ask the tough questions that they don't ask us. Well, I think we're doing a pretty damn good job nationwide of getting those guys' attention. Mm-hmm. Coach, I really appreciate all your insight. Looking forward to whenever we can, as soon as possible, getting out there and, and uh, seeing you guys coach on the grass as Herm likes to say, and uh, getting the season going. So I appreciate your time. Man, I appreciate all you guys do for us as well. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Pierce, and you can also read the Q&A on Sun Devil Source, as well as other reporting we'll have on the team's defensive units this offseason. This was the final edition of our position coach interviews. Thank you for tuning in. Akuna Matata.